We're so very glad that you are able to join us for worship today. And as you can readily tell, I am not Chris, who has taken a couple weeks off from preaching that he might be able to write in another way and work on his Doctorate of Ministry project. We wish him well, don't we all? And with that in mind, I, let's, try, let's try to give him the time he needs. So if you need something, call the church office, contact Lisa or myself, and always remember that we have Stephen Ministers who are ready to listen at any time. I also want to thank everyone who makes this recording of worship possible for us. Our musicians this morning are Chris and Jenna and Ian. We thank you for their skills. We thank Tamara for setting us up and making it look a little different every time we gather. And Scott for putting this all together and reminding me when to stop so that he has time so that this worship is available for you at any time. There are a couple announcements that I would like to remind you of. First of all, you have received our, um, our prayer list, and I ask that you remember all of the folk on that list, and especially this week, Debbie Higdon's family. It's a difficult week, and they need our prayers and our love. On a more cheerful note, Jim and Jenny, uh, Briggs invite all of us to an Eagle Scout Court of Honor for Jaden next Saturday, the 23rd, 10 o'clock for a pickup breakfast and 10.30 for the ceremony on the soccer field. We all want to congratulate Jaden for this amazing accomplishment. Let us worship God. The Lord be with you. Chris is going to open our time of worship with a hymn, Live into Hope. pray together. Over the last week, two weeks really, maybe more than that, there's been much unrest and our community has been touched deeply 
by this never-ending pandemic. So the prayer that I have selected to use today was written for the Presbyterian Church during times of distress. I invite you to pray with me. Almighty and everlasting God, you are strength to those who suffer and comfort to those who grieve. Let the prayers of all your children who are in trouble rise to you. Hear our prayer, O Lord. We claim your promises of wholeness as we pray for those who are ill or suffering loss and long for your healing touch. Hear our prayer. Make the weak strong, the sick healthy, the broken whole, and confer and confirm those who serve them as agents of your love. Hear our prayer, O Lord. To everyone in distress, grant mercy, grant relief, grant refreshment. Hear our prayer. And as we begin to rebuild, we commend our neighborhoods to your care. Give us strength of purpose and concern for others, that we may create a community where your will may be done. Hear our prayer, O Lord. God of compassion, you watch our ways and weave out of terrible happenings, wonders of goodness and grace. Hear our prayer. Surround those who have been shaken by tragedy with a sense of your present love and hold them in faith. Though they are lost in grief, may they find you and be comforted through Jesus Christ, who is dead but lives and rules with you. We continue in prayer with the words he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Chris brings to us a second anthem. This is my song.
This is my song, O God of all the nations, a song of peace for lands afar and mine. This is my home, the country lessons this morning. The first is from Psalm 146. It is a psalm of praise, a psalm which asks us to trust in God and in God alone. The God whose work Jesus identifies as his own in his address in Nazareth. Here are the words of Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirits depart, they return to the ground on that very day. Their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is, is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He holds up the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, 
for all generations. Praise the Lord. And our second lesson comes from the great storyteller, Luke. Luke has set the stage for Jesus' opening sermon by telling us of Jesus' baptism, listing Jesus' genealogy, and sharing the temptations. All of these events highlight who Jesus is and how the Spirit has descended upon him with power that he might begin his work. Hear now these words from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, running through the 30th verse. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote the proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth. He continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to the, any of them, but to the widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built 
in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The word of God for the people of God. My friends, I don't think I'm telling you anything that you don't already know. This is inaugural week. This is the time for a president to set the tone for the work ahead, to set the vision he sees for the country. This is the time for grand addresses filled with hope for that which will come. And in our, in our history as a nation, we've had some very famous words of direction in inaugurals. Here are the top five as listed in an article written by Jan, Jan, John Hammeron in January of 2019. Oh, no, 2017, I'm sorry. In the year 1993, Bill Clinton said, there's nothing wrong with America that can't be cured by what is right with America. In 1981, Ronald Reagan said, in the present crisis, the government is not the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. In 1961, John Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. In 1933, when this country was still reeling from the Great Depression, Franklin Roosevelt said, this great nation will endure as it has endured will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. On the number one list, in 1865, toward the end of a horrible civil war, when brother fought brother and there was great division in this land. Abraham Lincoln said, with malice toward none and charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to the finish, to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have been born, who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. And today, the great storyteller Luke offers another inaugural address, another vision for the world, a message 
not of what presidents will do, but what God will do. Luke tells us that following Jesus' baptism, when the Spirit led, descended upon him, that after the Spirit had led him into the wilderness where he was tempted, then Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of that very same Spirit to the praises of the crowds until he finds himself in his hometown of Nazareth. On the Sabbath, he does what is his custom, what he has faithfully done since childhood. He goes to the synagogue to honor God and to teach. As a traveling teacher, preacher, teller, he's given the scroll to read the scriptures that day. There in Nazareth, surrounded by the folk of his history, he delivers his manifesto, his inaugural. And Jesus uses well-known words from a great prophet of the Hebrew people to announce his plans for the work ahead. He tells his hometown crowd that the Spirit has empowered him to preach the good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, liberate the oppressed, recover sight to the blind. And when they hear these words, they are initially impressed and very thankful. For this is extraordinarily good news for the people of the backward town of Nazareth, which knows its own share of poverty and oppression. So they hear him saying to them, I have come for you. I have come to set you free, free from the struggles that captivate you. I have come to liberate you from that which oppresses you. I've come that you might be able to see the wonders of the world around you. Amazing words for the people of Nazareth. Words of comfort and security and hope for those who were not really the movers and shakers of Israel. But my friends, this gospel, from its very beginning, announced grand reversals. Remember Mary's song of the child she would birth? He will scatter the arrogant. He will put down the powerful. He will lift up the holy. He will fill the hungry and send the rich away empty-handed. So it is that we hear in Jesus' inaugural that expectations are reversed. As Jesus, as Judith Jones wrote of Jesus, 
He has come to bring good news to those who are so poor that they have nothing. Good news to those whose lives are, are little but bad news. Good news to those who are at the very bottom of the heap. As David Luce calls, those who are overlooked, forgotten, discarded. And as, you, as Luke's gospel continues, we see Jesus following through on this inaugural address as he heals the broken, welcomes the crushed, encourages the downtrodden, as he eats with tax collectors and Pharisees alike, as he heals a hemorrhaging woman, as he sides with prostitutes, beggars, and lepers. He welcomes them all. He forgives them all. He frees them all without discrimination. As Jesus fulfills his inaugural, he challenges his hometown crowd's view of who will receive this good news of who is on the top and who is on the bottom. He surprises this crowd by announcing that like the great prophets of their history, he's come not just for them, but also, and maybe mostly, for the outcasts. My friends, this is nothing new. The psalmist years earlier praised God, the God who gives justice to the oppressed, bread to those who are starving, the God who protects the immigrants and helps the orphans and the widows. Even knowing that the prophets, what the prophets have declared and what the psalmist sang, even still, Jesus' message rubs them the wrong way. And without the power of the Spirit, Jesus' ministry might have ended before it really began, just after his powerful inaugural. I must admit that while I am grateful for the amazing words of some of our former presidents. I believe Jesus' inaugural address is even more compelling. It is comforting to know that the poor receive good news, the blind will see, the prisoners will go free, the oppressed will be released. And at the very same time, his powerful message can also be extremely challenging because proclaiming good news to the poor can be disconcerting news, discomforting news for those of us who are comfortable as it was for those in Nazareth. It be, can be challenging 
to hear that God's new, good news is not reserved for only us, for only those who know and believe with their hearts, for only those who know this amazing story. It can be challenging to hear that God claims not only us, but also those with whom we disagree, those who are on the other side of the aisle, that God loves, yet that God's love extends beyond all borders, that God's salvation is ready for all, not just us. It is as if Jesus is saying, it, he was saying then and is saying now, when I'm talking about God freeing the oppressed or blessing the poor, I'm really talking about God blessing the people you cannot stand, the people you don't want to be near, those who have done us wrong, those who frighten us those who are different from us. And my friends, this is extraordinarily difficult for me. It's hard for me to swallow this, but Jesus is reminding us that God blesses even those who stormed our capital about 10 days ago. For you see, the love of God is broader than the measures of our mind. The love of God challenges us to open the doors very wide. This powerful and challenging inaugural invites us, all of us, each of us, to be part of this grand reversal, to act on behalf of God's justice today today to be part of the work Jesus began with his inaugural. Barbara Butler Bass wrote, today, today places us in the midst of the sacred drama, reminding us that we are actors and agents in God's desire for the world today reminds us that we are all called to be agents of reconciliation and hope, reminding us that we are called to continue Jesus' ministry of justice for all. So the question for us today, and really every day, is whether we will celebrate the wideness of God's mercy or like the people of Nazareth, seek to limit that mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please receive this charge and benediction. Jesus challenges us with good news, good news indeed.
Now is our time to be part of Jesus' good news and to celebrate the wideness of God's mercy. Christ who lives in you and has something he wants you to do where you are this day. Christ lives in you and seeks your work. So believe this and go in the grace and love and power of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're done. <laughs> the only thing I noticed is that I left out a line in the in the the um, in the song. I just overlooked it. <laughs> it fit. It was fine. But if you put, if you put the words on the screen, I'm not going to say that line. <laughs> Did I say that wrong? Yeah, well, you want me to do the first part again? Yeah, did I? It was 19. No, it's it's 1933. Yeah, yeah right. Do you want me to do so the first part again? It will. If I let me start at 1961 with John Kennedy. Okay. Okay. Thank you.